Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 41 to 49, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I want to read that portion again. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The title of my message this morning is, Where on Earth is Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray this morning that as I speak, that people will not just hear me, but that they would hear you. That this word would come alive. I pray for the word to become flesh in a powerful way. And I pray that this would be so relevant, that this would speak into every dry situation, every person that feels far from you, every person that might have even asked the question this week, that where is Jesus in the middle of what I'm facing? I pray that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit. We need you. I need you a bit more. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in the 60s and the 70s, there used to be a guy called Elvis Presley. I'm nervous because just this day, just yesterday I was with somebody in the car and we were talking about V31 and the person says to me, Darlene check sounds like a big deal, but I don't know who Darlene is. I'm concerned about my generation that they do not know good music. And so I'm not going to assume that everybody knows who Elvis is. Elvis is, was considered the king of rock, literally changed the music scene. I'm tempted to impersonate him, but I will not. I will not. If you don't respond, in, I might start singing, all right? So, uh, so that you don't endure that, respond to the word this morning. But Elvis was so epic. Elvis was so exuberant. Elvis was so charismatic. It was not just his gifting. It was not just his singing. It was the persona. It was the presence that he brought into the room, that he brought into the auditorium, that he brought into arenas. That it was common culture, just like today, if you were to listen to Coldplay, if you were at a youth camp, if you were at a youth conference, where whenever the worship is over, or the set is over, or the concert is over, where people start doing this thing called, one more song, one more song, one more song. In fact, Downpour Camp is coming in a, in a month's time, and uh, just a little bit of a plug there. But, but it's common at Downpour Camp, at the end of the camp, people go, one more song. One, what They call that an encore, a repeat. Right, and, and most musicians, most concerts, most places, depending on the setting, has this culture. But with Elvis, it was extreme. People would wait up to 90 minutes after the concert 
screaming, one more song, one more song, one more song. So the managers and the producers were held in tension because they wanted Elvis to be in the back room signing cards and t-shirts, I mean, whatever, uh, you know, his autographs and promoting the album. But it was so chaotic that they literally would have to escort him 30 minutes after the show out of the whole premises what would happen eventually is the manager or the producer will come on the stage and say these words, Elvis has left the building. That's where we get the whole tagline. I don't know if you've heard this tagline, Elvis has left the building. That's where it comes from. As I was reading Luke chapter 2 this week, I, got a, I, I began to marry this idea of our culture that talks about Elvis leaving the building and Jesus is nowhere to be found. I think it's not too radical for me to say, where is Jesus in some spaces? I do not know where you live, but if you have been alive for the last two and a half years, I'm confident that there would have been at some point in your life that you have, have asked the question, where is Jesus? You might have even felt Jesus has left the building. Not the, maybe not the building, but your life for sure. And, and so I want to speak into that because so many of us feel that tension. We are so pious that we will not accept it. We may not even articulate it, but we have dared thought it. And I want to speak into that because I believe there are people here that still love Jesus, still worship Jesus, still honor Jesus, still give to Jesus, but feel like, where is Jesus? What I like about the text in Luke chapter 2, I want to, I want to sort of open that up a bit more this morning. In Luke chapter 2, we find ourselves that the parents of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, are taking him to Jerusalem. So they are obviously on a journey. And they're taking him into the temple for the festival of the Passover. It's a couple of days journey and the festival is a few days long in itself. So what I notice in the text, the first thing that stands out to me, it says that every year they would go on this journey. Which tells me that this celebration had become a tradition. And this celebration had become common practice. And so when I begin to read the text, I begin to ask myself, what is it that was once initiated with God in my life that's now become too common? That I do all the things that make me feel like I'm close to Jesus. I do all the things that make me feel like I'm being pious and spiritual. But has there been a point somewhere along the, along the way that even in me, being used to the routine, or if I could use the word, the ritual, that somewhere along the way, Jesus went missing. You know, it's a bad day when people go missing. It's a really bad day when God goes missing. How many of you would say, yeah, I agree to that. Let's find common ground. Oh, I'll start singing like Elvis. <laughs> and so you've got, you've, got, you've got this predicament where the parents are, 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 are they, they, they've done this every, every year. It was common. It was on the calendar. It was not a special idea that Mary had. It was, it was a practice that happened every year. It was repetitive. It was common. And I want to speak into that because I think for so many of us in life, there are habits and routines and repetition that we conform to that are healthy, that are great practices. But somewhere along the way, we forget even why we are involved in that activity. Like if I can be as specific as even why do some of us come to church? 
uh, you know, why are we here? Yes, we are here because what we see, we believe that this is what God's called us to. There's something powerful about the gathering together. But sometimes even in the motion of this activity, we got to ask the question, where is Jesus? Where is God? I want to I wanna address the topic of the fact that He is divine, but I also want to talk about the fact that, the, that what kind of parents will forget their child has gone missing. I don't know if you noticed, I want to I I point to you that it's not that Jesus was missing for 30 minutes. It was that he was missing for a whole day. They say that it was a day's journey. A day's journey is around 12 hours. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty irresponsible. How many of you agree? No judgment here, but we've all forgotten. In fact, just as I'm about to get up here on the platform, Leah turned to me and said, where's Coco? <laughs> and, and so as parents, you're always looking, you know what I'm saying? And the fact that she asked the question is great because she hadn't seen her for a brief a couple of minutes. But the fact that Jesus' parents asked that question 12 hours into the journey tells me that's irresponsible. Now, so that is one factor. That's the human factor. No parent needs to be doing that to a child. You know what I'm saying? If they were living today, that would be considered some form of negligence, abuse. There would have been some legislation against that. But on top of that, Mary and Joseph knew that this was not just their own child. They also knew that this was God with skin on. Think about the danger. Think about the thoughts going through their mind. Think about the tension that was in the space. Think about all, all, all the things that they were going, going through their head. Like, what kind of parents are we? Huh? Like, like an angel entrusted me with this baby. An angel entrusted me. This, this is supposed to be the savior of the world. This is supposed to solve all the problems of the world. And now the solution for planet earth has now been lost because of our negligence. Sometimes we feel that way where we, we, we feel like we have lost answers that we once had. We've lost answers that we were going to solve a problem that we've once had. And, and what is interesting to me is, so I want, I, want to, I want to speak from the story from different facets. Because what, what stood out to me is that Luke wrote the story. You know what is interesting? You've got the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's only Luke that records the story. And Luke was a doctor. And the doctor records details that we need to point attention towards. The first detail is the fact that they were doing this annually. Which tells me there was repetition. The second thing that stood out to me was the fact that Luke records that they went to the festival of Passover. I don't know if you know what the significance of Passover is. Passover was an actual incident that happened during the time of Moses. Moses was an incredible leader that God raised to deliver Israel from Egypt. And the Bible records in the book of Exodus that the death angel was walking through the land and the Israelites killed lambs. And put their blood, I know it gets a bit gory, but bear with me because we'll celebrate in a second. Put, 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 put blood on their doorposts door as a sign that they were covered by the blood of the lamb. And so the dead angel would walk by their door and would pass over that home because of the protection that came with the shedding of blood. What Mary and Joseph forgotten was they got so focused in celebrating the promise of the Passover, not understanding that they were walking with the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Passover. 
They were so focused in going that they've forgotten what they have already. They're celebrating, oh, the Passover. Let me have some more lamb, Solovaki. Come on, just pass it a bit more. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Thank you, God, for the Passover. Not knowing that they were sitting next to the lamb, which is all what the Passover was about in the first place. And I say this because we live in a day and age that is so focused in the going and forget what they have. See, they got so focused in going to the festival and then they got so focused about going back home. And the reason why so many of us are frustrated is because we don't know where our life is going. And we get so focused on where's my life going? Where's my career going? Where's my family going? Where's my business going? It's about going places. And in their going, they left Jesus behind. Not knowing that their obsession in getting what they're going to get They've forgotten what they already have. Could it be that so many of us are so fixated in getting the next that we actually forget what God's already given us? Because what you got to know, church, is everything you need in life, God's already given you. It may have not manifested itself. It may not be fully here. But His presence is all that we need. And so I want to build tension around this because I need you to understand that what they were bringing into the temple was greater than where they were going. Who they were with in the temple was greater than where they were going. And I need you to understand this because I think this can relate to some of our lives where we are so focused on the next thing, the next event, the next project, the next goal, kicking goals, getting them gains. That we forget that His presence is right with us. That we forget that Jesus is in the room. And in our obsession of the goal and the gains and the getting, many a times, without even us knowing, we leave Jesus behind. And so we're going to think about this journey. Verse 44, it says, but supposing Him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, a day's journey, 12 to 14 hours, not seeing Jesus. I find it interesting that they went 12 hours thinking Jesus was with them, not knowing that he wasn't. Flash news, sometimes you may be moving in the direction of God, not knowing that God is even there. It tells me that, see, we, we, we think like God's presence is very obvious. God's presence is very tangible, and it is. But most times, even when His presence lifts off, even when we are not where we need to be, we are not even aware. It may take us 12 hours. It may take us 12 days. It may take us 12 months. God forbid, I hope it does not take us 12 years. But somewhere along the way, they realize that the main thing was missing. Jesus is missing. God is missing. And I want to speak into that. That's the central thought of what I want to speak about this morning because some of you have felt that way where you're like somewhere along the way, like where is God? Where is Jesus? I remember the time when this was happening in my life. I remember the time when God was doing this. But where is Jesus now? And you might feel that way, but I want you to notice what they begin to do. 
that, that they begin to search for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Mary and Joseph at that time had, have had other kids. They didn't even search for him among their own kids. They searched for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. Let me tell you what an acquaintance is in case you don't know what an acquaintance is. An acquaintance is someone that you, when, someone that you say hello to, wink at, fist bump at a coffee shop when you're about to order your flat white and they're about to order their latte. But you have no clue where they live. You have no clue what their phone number is. You have no clue what their name is. We all know those people. We see them on their way to work. We see them on our way home. We see them right next door. Sometimes acquaintances, they started searching for Jesus, not even amongst their friends, but amongst their acquaintances. How far down did Jesus need to go? How far down the ladder did Jesus need to go for us to be searching for Jesus among random people? How far down did Jesus get in my life, in your life, that you got to be looking for him in the weirdest of places? Having awkward conversations. Hey, is your name Bob? Is your name Bill? You're turning to your wife saying, I wish I'd asked his name last time we met him. But we're looking for, like, we're looking for God. He's like about this tall. Uh, he's growing his hair, a bit of a mullet. Uh, he's 12 years old. You know, like, like, can you imagine how awkward that conversation is? But we laugh at that. But sometimes we do that in our own life and we feel like God is missing. We look for Him in all the unusual places. We look for Him among friends, among maybe if I'm part of that group. Maybe if I'm part of that thing. Maybe if I read that book. Maybe if I start that club or if I join that club, I might find Jesus. I might find God who I feel is missing in my life. And so they start looking for him among acquaintances and they start looking for him among relatives. I begin to think about some of our relatives. I'm not just talking about physical relatives. Some of your greatest relatives are invoices. Some of your greatest relatives are bills and overdues. Some of your relatives are the fact that money was debited from your account and it wasn't there in the first place. Some of your relatives are relationships that determine your mood. If you're going to have an attitude of gratitude or an attitude of not so much gratitude. Some of, some of our relatives are those circumstances. Are we going to think how we can communicate this better? And I felt... Mark 13 come up in my heart. Mark 13 is the story of Jesus where he's sharing about the story of the farmer and the sower. The Bible goes on to say that the sower went out to sow seeds and the seed was symbolic to the word of God, was symbolic to revelation, was symbolic to truth. And in Mark 13, Jesus says the story as an example of the condition of the human heart. And it talks about how the seed fell on four different grounds. It fell on the stony ground, it fell on the unstable ground, it fell on the thorny ground, and it fell on good, good soil, right? And, 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 it, and the third one is when it falls on thorny ground, and it says that the thorns are the worries of the world. And it says that the thorns came up and choked up the seed. I wonder if the relatives in the life of Joseph and Mary choked up Jesus, choked up the presence of God. 
choked up the revelation of his promise. See, some of you, you had an, an understanding of truth. You had a promise from God. You knew his presence. But somewhere along the way, something came along that was way more significant than even the presence of God. That it came and choked up that thing that it should have never choked up. Because Jesus should have never been hanging around with the relatives. Just like Jesus should have never been hanging around with your invoices. When is it that we've lowered our faith and our worship and our hunger and our obsession? If God does this for me, then I know He is there. If God does that for me, then I know He is there. If God gives me a job, then I know He's there. If God gives me a girlfriend, then I know He's there. If God removes my boyfriend, then I know He is there. How is that that we've reached this place that we're looking for Jesus? And determining our Jesus status, our Jesus relationship, based on the relatives around us. Profound, isn't it? To think that they're looking for him among the worries of life. Among the things that come to choke away the joy, the hope, the presence, the promise, the person of who God is. And so here we've got the parents looking for Jesus among the relatives and the acquaintances. And, and these relatives, and what you've got to understand is the reason why they lost Jesus in the first place was because they were so fixated with the relatives and the acquaintance to begin with. Are you coming with me? Let's have a picnic together. Are you coming with me? Let's go hiking there. Are you coming with me? There's a good chicken chicken place there. Let's, let's swing around right there. They got so focused. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. I like, I like a good chicken. I might have one after the service. But, but what I'm trying to say is when, when that becomes the focus, right, the, they, they were searching for Jesus amongst the distraction, not recognizing the distraction in itself was keeping them away from Jesus, robbing them. For what needed to be present. And for, for some of us, it's not like God has just left our hearts. For some of it, it feels like God has, God has left our homes. For some of us, it feels like God has left our families. And for some of us, it feels like God has left our marriages. Because our marriages have become all about getting this done and getting that done. Our families is all about putting up this image or putting up that image, our persona has become about put it, creating this impression. And in the busyness of that, we got to ask the question, where is Jesus? I know this is convicting in some ways, but I want to ask us the question this morning. Is Jesus in your home? Yes, yes, he is. Yes, it's he is by confession, but is he there by action? Is Jesus in your marriage? When was the last time you held hands and prayed together? Is Jesus in your relationship? Is Jesus, you know, and, and that's the thing. Like the devil does this weird thing where he makes this whole God thing awkward. I meet spouses all the time that struggle to pray together. They'll eat together. They'll go to shopping together. They'll go to the movies together. They'll even get their nails painted together. But, but they struggle to pray together. Why is that? What is this awkward thing? That is the enemy coming in. To take away what the place that belongs to Jesus in our homes. And I want to encourage us this morning. I want to speak into that. Yes, it's a bit challenging. But I want us to really examine where is the presence of Jesus in our homes, in our marriages, in our families. And I'm not preaching to you in the sense of pointing the finger. I'm speaking to myself. 
Lee and I are very conscious of where Jesus is in the life of our kids. Far be it that we build a great church and build a great ministry and lose our kids. What hope is there? The Bible takes it. What is it, what is it for a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? And so we are constantly, constantly at a place, at a posture of sensitivity that we will not allow the acquaintances and the relatives, they are important, but they have a place to surpass and to become more prominent in our lives than the presence of God. And so we've got this, so they're at this place where, 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 where we're so, so we've got Jesus missing in our hearts. We've got Jesus missing in our homes. And I think at times we have Jesus missing. I was waiting for that. We've got Jesus missing in our churches. Let's, let's, let's start a program so people are happy. Let's get, come on board, let's get an air con in here so that people stay, stay longer in the foyer for fellowship. Now, we will get an air con. We will, I'll be asking you for money in a few weeks, heads up. But, <laughs> but, but that's not the point, right? Like we spend so much, like the relatives, the acquaintances are important. Let, let's, let's do this, right? I'm constantly fighting. I'm just being open. I'm, I'm sharing with you my world. I'm constantly fighting. What can we do? What can I do? What can I do? I'm just going to be very candid. Can I, can I be even more candid? Right now, there's a flood that's happened, right? And we've helped a few people, but we've helped them privately. But when I go on Instagram and I see all these churches doing way more about the flood, I feel like, can I do another flood program? Not because God's told me, but because I think I want to make some of you happy. And I wonder what is it in our lives that we accumulate with for the approval of everybody around us, not knowing that each time we step into that without listening to the voice of God, that Jesus climbs further down the ladder that he should have never gone and taken a step down below. And that's what I'm talking about. And so you've got Joseph and Mary in this place. And I want to ask, because I want to even speak into our church that, yes, we will have all these things as a church. And praise God for the building. And praise God for the lights. And praise God for the cameras. And we need all of that. Praise God for the foyers. Praise God for the coffee machine. But if our selection process for the presence of Jesus becomes about that, then I have got news for you. Jesus has left the building. And so, what I like in this text is verse 45, because verse 45 speaks to me of hope. It says, when they did not find him, when they did not find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. What I love is their humility and their hunger. I know of people because of the issue of pride that are kept walking back home. Now, we can't create an impression that we're bad parents. I can't create the impression that I'm a bad Christian. I can't, if I do that, then it'll look like I've backslidden. If I do that, it'll look like uh, somewhere along, like, you know what I'm saying? So in the name of image 
we will stop being humble. We will stop being hungry. But what I love is in the story is that the parents chose, to, obviously because they are parents, but I think there's a deeper truth in it that the Bible is trying to communicate to us this morning, that the parents chose to go back to Jerusalem, to go back into the presence, to go back into where Jesus was. And I want to encourage you because this reminds me of David. David became king of the nation of Israel and there was to be this thing called the ark of God's presence. The ark of God's presence, again, the symbolic, all of these things are symbolic to the person and the persona of Jesus, right? And so there's this thing called the ark of the presence and the first thing David does when he becomes king, which is an incredibly honorable thing, is to bring the ark of presence into the temple, right? But the way he does it is wrong. He does it wrong, doesn't read the manual. People die, things fall apart. He's feeling so, I mean, this is his first step. You know, you talk about when, when, when people become kings or I mean, presidents or prime ministers, the first hundred days in office, right? This is David's first five days in office. Newspaper headlines. David transports Ark of Covenant, absolute fiasco, people dead, bodies lying everywhere, bulls and cows campaigning against it. Can you think about the publicity? It was horrible. But what I love about David is he says, how can I get this? He was humble enough to publicly get on his knees and say, how can I bring the presence of God to Jerusalem? How can I bring the presence of God into temple, into the temple? And if you're in this room and you feel like God is absent in your life, the starting point is for you to pray that way that says, God, how can I have your presence in my life? I don't know how I'm going to get there. I'm not sure what step I need to take, but how can I have your presence in my life? Go back, go back. Just a practical step. If you feel like God is absent, go back to the last time He spoke to you. And do it. Because most likely, He's waiting there. He's, most times, God is waiting at the last word He spoke. And so I just want to help you this morning and share with you to go back to that original place. There's been times when it's been challenging to do anything in life when it comes to church, ministry, family, and I've always need to go back to the original word. Well, what did God say about this ministry? What did God say about this promise? What did God say about this church? What did God say about this family? The reason, the timing of doing Re31 this Thursday, can I be honest? It was inconvenient. We've got a lot happening. But I got reminded of what God spoke over V31. The promises, the words, and, and I felt like, hey, there's something there that we need to activate. There's something there we need to open up. And it's going back to that place of obedience. And you notice in verse 48, it says, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you been treating us this way? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I'm sure there are some of us have thought, have thought this. Jesus, why are you treating us this way? Why are you treating me this way? Can't you see what I'm going through? First my job, then my relationship, then my finances, now my health, and I'm lonely. How, can't you see what you're doing to me? And, and we've all felt that, like, 
I've, I've felt that in the area of, can't, can't you see what I'm doing? Can't you see, can't you see how, I'm, how, I'm, how I'm trying to do this thing, Jesus? Where, where are you? Where are you when I need you? Where, where were you when I needed you the most? Where were you when that happened? You know what is amazing? Jesus never left them. They left Jesus. You tell me that when people get quiet in church, that's when you're really hitting something. <laughs> Jesus never left them. He was in the temple all along. They left. They went on. They moved on to greener pastures. They thought they ticked the box and said, Look, what's next? Let's go on to the next thing. Let's go on to the next activity. Let's go on to the next event. Let's do this. Let's do that. But Jesus was right there where they left him, where he met with them all along. And what I love is Jesus says these words. He says in verse 49, don't you know where you would find me? You'd find me in my father's house. I feel like I want to tell somebody this morning, have you lost Jesus? Don't you know where to find him? You're going to find him in worship. Don't you know where you're going to find him? You're going to find him in the word of the Lord. Don't you know where you're going to find him? You're going to find as his children and his people come together in this place. Don't you know where you will find him? If you've lost him, you will always find him in the Father's house. You'll always find him in the presence of God. I want to ask us the question this morning, when was the last time we got desperate for Jesus? When was the last time we had a little bit of a cry in God's presence? When was the last time we just put on the volume so high in our car and we were tempted to close our eyes, but if we would, we would cause an accident or two. But we were speaking loud and singing loud and praying in tongues and just allowing the flood of heaven to invade our car. When was the last time? Because that is where Jesus is. That is where his presence is. Don't you know where to find me? He's there. And I want to encourage every person in this room. He's closer than you think. He's near. He's not far. I like what the NKJV says. It says, don't you know where I would be? I would be about my father's business. I would be about my father's business. Pastor Elwin, what do you think about COVID? I would be about the father's business. Pastor Elwin, what do you think about the vaccine? I would be about the father's business. Pastor Alan, what do you think about the check-in system? I would be about my father's business. Pastor Alan, what do you think about the borders opening and the borders shut? I would be about my father's business. Pastor Alan, what do you think about, about, about Anastasia? I would be about my father's business. Pastor Alan, what do you think about China? I would be about my father's business. Pastor Alan, what do you think about Ukraine? I would be about my father's business. Let's keep praying for them. But I would be about my father's business. Pastor Alan, what do you think about the flood? I would be about my father's business. The way to be where Jesus is, is to be about God's business. And I want to encourage every person in this room. I want to encourage you in this coming week, in this coming season, do something about God's business. See, my job is not to do ministry. I hope you know that. Ephesians 4 says, Ephesians 2 says, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. But if you don't turn up to God's business... If you're not serving, if you're not building, if you're not leading a circle or in a circle or doing, taking one next step, 
there's a higher possibility that you will feel like Jesus has left the building. But the reality is he never did. We did. And I want you to understand this truth. And yes, I'm not trying to convict you, but this is the word that I'm sharing with you. There is nothing you and I are doing in this life, and I will say this with purity and I will say this humility, but there's nothing you are doing that is more important than the Father's business. I need you to get this. Thank you for starting that business. Praise God. You know, Friday, I was in a meeting. I got called. I was sitting in the last row. It was a private gathering. And there was a member of parliament there. And the host of the meeting turns, looks at me, says, you're the youngest pastor in the room. We want you to come up and pray. I got to pray and prophesy over the member of parliament Friday afternoon. Saturday afternoon, I'm carrying my kids, trying to work this sermon out. Another federal member of parliament calls me for advice. See, so many people make the parliament their agenda. But when you make God's business your agenda, the parliament will follow you. When you make God's business your agenda, finances will follow you. The Bible does not say, I chase goodness and mercy. The Bible says, goodness and mercy and favor shall follow you all the days of your life. So many times, just like Mary and Joseph, we spent our energy trying to gain followers, influences, acquaintances, and friends and favor with the relatives. But yet, if they'd fix their eyes on Jesus, if they'd fix their eyes on the Father's business, on the Father's house, favor, mercy, goodness, provision will follow. That's not because I'm saying it out of experience, but that's what the Word of God says. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And you know what? It's nobody's fault. The last two and a half years has been the most distracted era in our lives. Because the devil knows he can't defeat us. But he knows he can distract us. And so he's got us engaging in marches to Parliament, in marches to Canberra, in holding banners with other people, and putting this post. And, and what has happened to the Father's house? And we're thinking we're doing that all in the name of God. But actually we're doing it in the name of preference. Because Jesus said, I am about business. The greatest way to position you into where God needs you to be is be a businessman for God. I'm not talking about starting a business, but, but thinking that way. Thinking with the mindset of how can I be a benefit? Thinking how can I bless the house of God? How can I bless the work? How can the gospel go out? Let me tell you, there are still billions and billions and billions of people. Vision Sunday is coming. I feel like I'm already there. But Vision's com coming, coming in a couple of weeks. But there are billions of people that are yet to hear. Yes, it's horrible in Ukraine. But what is worse is if people die and they go to a place that's worse than a war-torn area. How much more now do they need to hear the good news and the promise of eternity. And so I want to encourage us. I want to mobilize us. I want to invite us to a place of intimacy. Saying, God, here I am. Use me. Send me. Show me. I thought you were absent. I thought you left the room. I thought you left my problem. But I recognize this morning that you were always here. Because your word says, 
You will never leave us nor forsake us. Even though the world denies us, the world betrays us, you're by our side. You're beside us. You never left. You're right there. And Lord, I'd repent this morning of times where I felt alone, where I felt naked, where I felt abandoned. But this morning I set my eyes to you. And I say, God, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Speak to me. Show me. Lord, your word says, call unto me. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Lord, I pray that this morning. I pray that over us that we will be a church that would once again call, that will once again set our eyes to you, look to you, our source, our strength, our help. And Lord, I just shake the lie that the enemy has been telling many of us that God has left, that God is absent, that God is not present. And Lord, right now I speak this truth that you are closer than our skin, that you're nearer than a brother, that you're beside us, that you will not forsake us. And I thank you, Lord, right now that people would feel the surety of your presence. I pray right now that people will feel the strength of you next to them. People that have gone through breakdowns, people that have gone through pain, people that have gone through tragedy, people that have gone through turmoil, people that have gone through sicknesses, people that have gone through betrayal, people that have gone through abandonment, people that have gone through rejection. I speak right now into your life and I say Jesus has not left you. He's beside you. He's right there with you. He's holding you by His hand and He's taking you into the places that you need to go. So Father, this morning we set our eyes to You. And Lord, we position ourselves once more in Your presence, in Your house, in this place. And we say, here we are, God. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are, Father. We thank You, Jesus. Praise You, Lord. If you're here this morning and with every eye closed, if you're here and you feel far from God, feel like you don't even know or you don't even feel like you're in a relationship with God if that is you I want to invite you to come to Jesus I want to invite you to put your life, trust in Him if that is you I want you to just quick, quickly slip your hands up so I just know who you are praying for you just, just, just going to give you a couple of minutes just saying that's me include me in that prayer thank you Jesus thank you Jesus we praise you God we praise you Lord thank you Father thank you Jesus we praise you thank you. Why don't we say this prayer together, Jesus, come into my heart, take away my shame, my guilt, I put my trust in you. From this day forward, I'm a new creation. Fill me now with your spirit. Teach, teach me your ways. In your name we pray. Amen. Just look up here. God's on your side. on your side he's got you he's closer than you think don't feel lost you know sometimes the enemy lies to us that God's abandoned us God's not abandoned God's not abandoned you God's not forsaken you I need you to lean in this week lean into God lean into God all right 
I like what Pastor Leah said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Thank you, Jesus. Lean in. Lean in. I felt there's somebody here with um, um, some sort of, it's like your hand has this, um, it's like a, just a little bit of trembling sort of a thing, like a tremor, some sort of shock sort of thing. I don't know what it is. It's hard to get my head around what that is. But if that is you, just lift your hands up. You're feeling like there's this uncontrollable tremor or weaknesses in your bones. It's there. Is there anybody else where you're, you're sensing that? Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we just stretch your hands there, Father, in the name of Jesus. Just lift your hands up, Father. I just pray right now for that uncontrollable feeling, that uncontrollable sensation to be lifted off in Jesus' name. I rebuke it right now. I declare you have no authority. Take your hand off Ben's body right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, that he's your son. I come against the lie that you think that you're not his child. I come against the lie that you think that your name has been written in a book that's going to take you to hell. I come against that. Stand up, Ben, right now. Stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Desire, go lay your hands on him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're going to go after this this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, right now I declare freedom. You're the child of God. I come against the lie that tells you that you've committed the unpardonable sin. There is no sin too big that God cannot take away. There is no wickedness too big that God cannot remove. Father, right now I declare freedom from head to toe in Jesus' name. I right now pray for the power of God to touch and penetrate. No power present is bigger than the power that is falling upon you right now in Jesus' name. The same power that raised up Christ from the dead. I declare a quickening in His body this very moment. Lord, we thank You for this miracle. We thank You for this breakthrough. We thank You for this touch. We thank You for Your power. We praise You, God. We praise You. Um, if there's someone else that I felt, uh, it's like a, it could be a spine problem, uh, a lower spine problem, spinal column pro problem. I don't know who that is. Just lift your hands up if that is you. I just want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We praise You, God. Yeah, right there. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Father. Janelle, can you just lay your hands on that? Just lay your hands up. Just lift your hands up right there. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just take authority over that spine, over that lower back in the name of Jesus. We just command for even the shocks that she feels out of that in Jesus' name, let it be gone. We declare the same power that raised up Christ from the dead, healing power right now in Jesus' name. I take authority, even fear that has come upon you because of this thing, because it cannot be properly diagnosed. I declare that it's gone. This infirmity lifted up, removed in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for this miracle. We pray you, God, even the fact that you struggle to bend down to pick things in the name of Jesus, I declare quickening and mobility like never before in Jesus' name. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Rosa, just lift your hands up. Yeah, lift your hands up. Don't be too worried about your children. They're in my hands. I've got them. You feel concerned that there was a season gone when things were difficult and they sort of leaned into God, but now it seems like they've entered a blessed season and that's great. And you have this concern of where will they be in the things of God? God's got His hand on them. God's got His hand on them. And in the right time, the seeds that you've sowed, in fact, I feel like the Lord is saying, keep sowing those seeds. You feel like the so the, it's falling on dead ground. It feels like it's falling on no potential. Nothing seems to happen. I'm just hearing an echo when I'm, sharing the goodness of God. No, no, no. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep inviting them. You've stopped inviting because you just keep saying no and busy. Keep inviting them into the things of God and God will open the door. Don't worry. Don't worry. The windows of heaven will open. The rain will come. And Lord, I just pray 
a reign of your presence over their home, over their home. The God that took you out from what you were in and has taken you so far will not leave you stranded in the middle of the road. You feel like you've been taken out and you thank God for what you've been taken out, but you feel like you do not know where you're going. God's still leading you. God is still guiding you. God is still beside you. God is still there for you. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. Thank you, Father. If there's anybody here with any terminal illnesses, any chronic diseases or anything like that, just lift your hands up. I just want to pray corporately for any of these infirmities cancers, terminal illnesses, anything of that sort. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority right now. May Lord, just declare your healing hand, your healing presence, your healing touch. And I just pray right now, Lord, for your power and for this testimony. We thank you, God, already for this testimony that's coming through. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Do you feel the love of God? You do? want you to go in confidence, church. People that are followers of Jesus, people that know this God, you are royalty. You know what I'm saying? You, you listening to me? Talk to me. I'm not preaching, I'm talking, so talk back. You are royalty. You're royalty, all right? Step out. Step out into new things. Step out into new ventures. Step out into, why? Because God's your Father. He's got your back, okay? Don't worry. The money is coming. Step out. Don't worry. Heaven's got an endless bank account. It's coming, all right? Step out in faith. Don't worry. Amira, don't worry, all right? My brother there, don't worry. Don't worry. God's got your back. God's got your back. Rico, Rico, lift your hands up right now. These guys' business have been hit with all sorts of stuff. Why don't we just stretch our hands to these guys right now? Lord, I pray even in the next 14 days that there will be a turnaround in their business. I pray for new opportunities, even people that you connected with 18 months ago, suppliers and contacts that things have left hanging there. From Maribara to, to Gimpy to all these places, I pray for businesses to come forth in an incredible way this week, in the next 14 days, Lord. Let us hear a testimony of your goodness. I oppose the attack of the enemy against this house, against this business. And I pray right now for the hand of God. Lord, we, we remind ourselves of our inheritance. Rico, you have an inheritance. Sometimes you feel like because of your circumstances and how you had to lead South Africa, it was everything in your life has been a battle. Sometimes you feel orphaned and you feel abandoned. But the Lord wants to tell you this morning, you're not an orphan, you're my son. You're my child. I'm your father. I'm there. You're a father to many, but you yet feel fatherless. But this morning I pray for the father's heart to be revealed in a deeper way to you, knowing that daddy's taking care of you. Dad's got your back. Dad's got the back of your business. Dad's got your family's back. So Father, we pray for that. We just thank you, God, for what you're about to provide. I thank you for a turnaround. In Jesus' name, we pray. If you believe that, shout amen.